Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 5-1 Volleyball Podcast, the number one, without a doubt, no contest place to catch up with the world of professional men's volleyball. My name's Dan, and today we have a few fun news items to catch up around the league, and then our special segment for the day is three dumb rules in volleyball things that grind my gears so without further ado let's start this podcast So actually, for whatever reason, this ended up being a really interesting news week. Lots of uh, lots of stuff happened, and probably the first one, the most interesting one to me, is the coach of Yastrebshi Vegil, Luke Reynolds, who previously worked with Mark Lebedew, was the former strength coach in Yastrebshi as well. His first season as a head coach, and by all accounts, a very successful season for Yastrebshi sitting at second place at 14 and 5 in the plus liga right now which you know I, I for, in my opinion that is an overachievement even losing the uh, three games in 2021 it's still an overachievement for Yastrebji they lost many of their best players from last year including outside hitters Julian Liniel, Christian Fromm, losing David Konarski who I don't like but still he's he's still a good player and also most importantly Graham Vigrass who was like just about the best middle in the plus liga last year so some huge losses to the team, and they didn't really fill in the gaps all that much, Like, at least in my opinion. I mean, Muhammad Al-Hajdadi's played quite well this season, but I mean, they really haven't figured out the second outside or the second middle with any sort of consistency throughout the season. So, and despite that, are still playing well. So, uh, yeah, so despite all this, Luke Reynolds was fired by the management of Yastrzemski Vegio. A little strange, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people on Twitter and Instagram also were just, everyone was scratching their heads. This move really came out of almost nowhere. I think it was partly spurred on by a loss to Olshin, who, even though they are not the greatest team in the Plus Liga, 8-10, 10th place, I mean, they're still not a bad team. They still have good players at Walsh. And definitely, you know, it happens losing to a team in the middle of the standings. They're standing at 2-3 and three since the start of 2021. So I guess that's a bit of a knock against them. And they lost to Stalnisa and Versava as well. So, I mean, losing to Stalnisa is kind of questionable. But, yeah, losing to Versava, I mean, of course they did. They also beat Skra 3-0 in this run, which to me is, like, arguably more important than any of their losses. So to, ha- to fire a coach... That's, you know, for me is having this team overperform. There were no, I mean, who knows what goes on behind the scenes, but there's no like public displays of any of the players being upset with the coach. And you have the second best record in a super competitive league. I, I don't know. Very strange move. Maybe there's some, some big issue going on behind the scenes. But for me, this is, you, uh, this is a move you do, you know, after the season. We've seen coaches even to have good seasons and then after the season they, they get fired because the team needs to move in a new direction they're bringing in new personnel there's new ownership yada 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 there's there's a few reasons why it could happen but in the middle of the season while your team is doing this well is i don't think i've ever seen something like this in sports before so i mean i think luke reynolds is a good coach and yeah i hope he gets a spot somewhere because this was i'm sure this was a bit of a blind side for him as well so yeah juiciest news of the week right there very strange stuff going on in Yastrzemski Vegio. Uh, we also had Yuji Nishida, a rumor by 
Gianluca Bassini, who is a legendary Italian blogger, does the website uh, Dal15L25. If you've never read it before, you'll have to use Google Translate, but it is a great source of rumors. I would say like 60% of them don't come true, but still still really fun to read because there's so much funny, uh, good stuff on there. So yeah, Yuji Nishida apparently is definitely leaving Japan as offers from multiple Italian teams. The two that were have kind of been brought up as names so far are Padova and Vibo Valencia. For me, he would be probably an upgrade to both those teams. I would say, yeah, I would definitely rather have Nishida than Tonchek Stern. We've talked about Stern and his efficiency issues in the past. I think whatever blocking upgrade he is on Nishida does not even come close to make, making up for how much more efficient Nishida would be in attack. And then Vivo Valencia, their current opposite is Abuba, who, who I like, who I like, but I, I still probably would take Nishida over Abuba too for similar reasons to uh, to Stern. So yeah, finally, Yuji Nishida. I mean, I've been a huge Nishida fan. I made a YouTube video about him two years ago, basically talking about how like amazing this prospect from Japan is. And this is after he had already blown up a bit and done really well at the 2018 Nations League. But I have to admit, even I didn't expect him to really like take it to the next level as much as he has. Because he, re- he looks like a completely legitimate offensive weapon at the opposite position at, you know, 6-1, which is absurd to me. I mean, just crazy how he's competing with guys like Mazursky and Bartosz Kurek and the leading scorers in Japan. And, he, and he's probably almost a foot shorter than those guys and, and more than a foot in the case of Mazursky. But I mean, the big question that I posed in that video and I've, I've asked a couple times with Nishida is, can he play outside of this really fast, really precise Japanese system? Because, you know, Japan is built around short pin hitters. So it makes sense that Yuji Nishida would do well with Japanese setters. And he hasn't really played with a non-Japanese setter so far. He hasn't played overseas other than Japan and the Japanese national team yet. So he's going to go up against big blocks every single night in, uh, when he's playing in Italy. He's going to not have, you know, these super precise sets from guys like Nanomo Fuji and uh, Sakita. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Nishida coming over to Italy. And, you know, I, I think he'll do fine. I think at this point we've seen enough from Nishida playing at a really high level of the national team that he's definitely proved himself. And also he's, his serve is so good as well that it's it's going to be tough not to play him just on account of his serve alone, how, how effective that will be in Italy as well, where serving is almost more important than any other league given how deadly those offenses are. And then our last bits of news, there's a couple smaller moves. Uh, Luke Perry finally has a team. I mean, it's crazy that he hasn't had a team yet top 10 libero in the world i would still say and you know it's probably some of it had to do maybe with his own trepidation about playing during covid there's also the fact that australia is notoriously one of the most difficult countries to leave and enter so that might have played a factor too but yeah i mean he's playing with tours in france who are not having a great season in france by their standards i mean they're still 11 and 4 for the last few years, they've completely dominated France with barely any uh, competition. But right now, Montpellier number one in France and Tours eleven and four. But they've you know they've had to fight for that. They uh, they've been climbing the standings recently, but still tough season for Tours. And, and I think this will be a big upgrade with a Luke Perry in there. He's definitely going to be a much better libero than Nicolas Roussard. I still don't think this will make Tours the favorite in the French league. I still would take Montpellier as the team, but definitely makes them a lot more competitive. I mean, this is the kind of move that they needed to do. 
And if they had had Luke Perry the whole season, like they probably would have been first. So good move by Tours, and really happy that Luke Perry found a team. Another smaller one is the Russian outside hitter Yuri Berezko, who's you know been a fairly prominent outside hitter in the Russian league for a number of years, but getting up there in age and is in his mid 30s, is moving to Turkey to play in Galatasaray Istanbul, is kind of a you know team in the maybe the four to six range usually in Turkey, kind of middle of the pack, but still you know still usually attracts some solid players. Played in the CV Cup before, but they have Maurice Torres. They kind of have some decent Turkish national team guys like Burte Sabasi. <coughs> Emery Savis. So, I mean, the main issue why he was, he's more leaving Moscow, I think, than going to Istanbul because he was not sniffing any court time with Sam Daru and uh, Yaroslav Podlesnek playing like they were. Both those guys were playing like two of the best outside hitters in Russia right now. And maybe, you know, maybe a bit of an ego, maybe a bit of a easy paycheck, but yeah, he'll, he'll certainly probably help out the Galatasaray team, even though I still think they're not going to be a contender compared to teams like Definitely Fenerbahce, and also uh, Izmir is looking pretty good this year as well. So that's all our news for today. So let's move on to some league recaps, starting in Poland, where I'm first going to talk about, of course, the match I mentioned earlier, Yastrzebski Vegil versus Indikapol AZS Olsztyn. Yeah, surprising result with Olsztyn winning, but... They did it in the way that Olshin is pretty much always going to have to do to beat good games this year, which is A, number one, most important thing, Damien Schultz plays like the way he used to play on the Polish national team. This game hitting 20 for 32, only three errors for a very efficient 53%. Did a great job there attacking and exposing the blockers on the outside for of Yastrzebski. So yeah, Damien Schultz, a vintage performance there, and also benching at least one of Ruben Schott and Robert Andringja because they can't play both at the same time. There's that's just not enough offense from your wings, and it worked well because Andringja, you know, being a libero for the Dutch national team, barely got served. They had to avoid him the entire game because he only got served 11 times compared to 33 times for uh, libero Grzynski and. Marcin Walensky, 21 service targets, and did a really good job. 64% positive, 45% perfect. So they really could not serve Andrinja, who was also taking up a fair amount of the court. So I think that's the lineup, you know, they're going to have to roll with the rest of the season. And then on the other side, Yassin Lewati, again, struggling a lot recently for Yastrzebski. They decided to give him another chance this match. Or, uh, Luke Reynolds, the former coach, decided to give him another chance, hitting seven for 19 with three blocked attacks and three errors for six errors and a 5% hitting efficiency. So not a good game for our French friend there. Not sure if it's physical or mental problems that are hurting him right now, but this is definitely not the Yasin Lawati that we saw in uh, the early parts of 2020 and late parts of 2019. Another interesting game this week was Belshatov versus Katowice, which actually just happened. And Katowice coming fresh off a win against the third place Trefle Gdansk, having a great season over there. But unfortunately, not the same result against the Bumblebees, the yellow and gold PGE Scraw Belshatov losing 1 to 3. For Katowice, the leading scorer, Jakub Yaraj. The opposite, but doing so in a fairly efficient manner. 15 for 24. Dustin Wadden having a very good game over at the libero position. 
68-45 were his passing percentages. So great job from him. He's been, he's actually had a fantastic season so far, doing really well. Also, finally, was commenting on some of the the uh, posts about Luke Reynolds, not afraid to voice his opinion. Most of the time, actually, like ninety five percent of the time, is very positive. But he's he's not afraid to to let people know when he, he thinks low of a situation as well. But yeah, Scrub Belchersov, the one thing I want to point out, Taylor Sander, looking real nice out there. 20 for 29, only two errors for 62% hitting efficiency. Excellent work from him. Interestingly enough, in the middle, we didn't see any Matej Biniak. Instead, Norbert Huber and Carl Kloche were the two middles. Didn't really get to use them too much, though only 14 attempts and seven uh, kills between the two of them. Also a good game for Dusan Pikovic. The Serbian opposite, and if Skraw is going to have any chance with the Polish Cup coming up soon, then I, I say Dusan Pekovic is the big wild card because I really trust Ibadapur, Taylor Sander, their middles. Maybe not as much Gregor's low match, but I, I trust all those guys to play well. And then, but Dusan Pekovic can you know either have a game like today where he's you know fairly efficient, hitting the ball well, take sweeping up any garbage and. You know, making sure they don't rely 100% on Sander and Adbatapur for bad uh, out-of-system plays. But he also has games where he's just throwing balls into the block again and again and again and again. No super big games coming up this weekend, but I'm definitely going to be interested. Definitely going to have an eye on A. Yastrzemski Vegil playing on Saturday. Also, Rysovia should be an interesting team to watch this week. See if they are uh, this little win streak is going to continue and they start to gain some momentum because I do think they have the talent. In Russia, we had Zenit Kazan losing again to Dynamo Moscow. So I, I don't know if I really want to talk about Zenit Kazan that much this episode. It's it's really not going well. Vladimir Lekno called out Bartosz Bednorz in the media, apparently. Uh, kind of ripping on him a bit and yeah the team is very dysfunctional right now I still believe in them but that uh, belief is going down a few percentage points every week they continue this horrendous losing streak but I, I still think as long as they make the Champions League playoffs and as long as they make the Russian playoffs I would I would still definitely not count them out and, and probably still consider them among the favorites also saw Zenit St. Petersburg play Lokomotiv Novosibirsk Lokomotiv kind of alternating between uh, Vorpave and Abev, and if that's a coaching decision, I think it's a silly one because I think Konstantin Abev for Novosibirsk is definitely a more precise, smarter, more talented setter than Vorpave. I, I mean, he pretty much lost them their Champions League playoff berth by himself uh, during that first Champions League tournament. And yeah, pretty easy game for Zenit St. Petersburg. Uh, Antoine Brizard going to Viktor Politaev quite a bit there. And I'm pretty sure at this point we can consider... Uh, Lokomotiv Novosibirsk kind of like a a non-contender for sure. I know I talked a lot about how the Russian league there's like six or seven teams that that are that are contenders this year, but I think we're slowly starting to see a separation between the top five teams, which are Zenit Kazan, Saint Petersburg, Kuzbas Kemerovo, Fekel Novi Urngoin, Dynamo Moscow, and then maybe the two that I, that are falling behind are Ural Ufa and Lokomotiv Novosibirsk, and I do think. I have a feeling Elias Kirkiv is is a little fed up with his team because, for me, he's he's playing the best volleyball of the entire team right now. And you can see when they put him in positions to score, he was doing quite well. And you know he has a nice little spin serve he's developing, 
And looking like, I think he's definitely going to get selected for the Russian uh, national team this summer if we have an Olympics. <laughs> Maybe I should have gone over that in my news as well. But yeah, Ilyas Kirkiv, I feel like he needs to be on a better team because there's definitely not like eight better middles in Russia than him right now, and he, sh he should be playing on a top team. And a big matchup coming up between Zenit St. Petersburg and Zenit Kazan. The two Zenits, always a fun battle, but you know I kind of feel like Given the way both teams are trending right now, it's probably going to be a pretty solid victory for Zenit St. Petersburg. But I don't know. The way uh, this could be a defining moment in the season for Zenit Kazan, where they overcome the terrible play, get it together, and start winning. But I don't know. But I, I don't know. But I know I'll be definitely watching that match uh, tomorrow afternoon. Now over to the lovely, lovely country and volleyball league in Italy. Had a lot of fun games this week, I feel. A lot of tight ones, a lot, a lot of good fights. Cucine Lube Civitanova beats Modena 3-2. Modena had a rough week with a, with a few uh, a few five-set losses, but yeah, Yoandi Leal didn't win MVP this in this one. That went to Robert Landy Simon, but he is he is looking really unstoppable right now. And like this is probably his worst game in a while, 15 for 29. But just the kind of looks he's getting and even the mistakes he's making, you can tell that, you know, most of the time he's going to score those and he's just looking a little off, you know, maybe his hand wasn't quite in the right direction or he misses the block touch by like a centimeter. But yeah, Yoandi Liao still looking great, but Robert Landy Simon, 10 for 14 with three aces. His serve, I don't, this might be like one of the best serving years in his career. He's always been a good server, but I feel like, he like almost more so than anyone in the Super League. Like he he is serving with a lot of power, and he, he seems to go on all these service runs. Like in this game, he was the leading server on the team, twenty two serves, which uh, as I always say is you know sometimes that's just as good of an indication of how good a player was serving as their actual ace count. And yeah, Rob Landy Simon just seems to always go on these good serve runs. Also, funny moments in this game, the ending with. Uh, Vittori absolutely getting slammed by Yoandi Leal in the last two points, which definitely hurts a lot in a uh, when you're down 13 to 10 in a, in a tight match like this. But seemed like a bit of a, a fitting end to the game considering Luca Vittori 18 for 41 with eight attacking errors. So not the best game from him, but you know I think he's doing a decent job with all the set load because one guy on the team who's, I don't know, at least on offense, seems to me to be holding them back more than anything, is Nemanja Petric, and this one hitting 12 for 29 with seven errors, so really poor game from him. Not sure why he's, I mean, I know he's, I mean, he's a legendary player, he's kind of an emotional uh, leader on the court, but he is, he is really hurting them uh, as a player. Like, why does he need to get 29 sets when you have, Moritz Karlitzek on the team. When you have Daniele Lavia on the team, both, especially Karlitzek, I feel like is not getting enough looks for Modena. For me, the, the starting lineup should be probably Lavia and Karlitzek. We even we saw a little bit of Rinaldi and Pablo Poro in this game as well. But also, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Micah Christensen leave the team. I mean, he, there's been rumors both ways. He's rumors he might have go to Zaksa there's in Kozil. There's also, people saying now he's signed with Modena for like three more years. So I haven't had anyone really trustworthy say anything definitive yet. 
But I can tell he's a little bit frustrated with the team. I mean, he's playing incredibly well right now and putting his hitters in really good positions but and playing, like, unbelievable defense as well. But unfortunately, there's only so much uh, one man can do, especially if you're not a pin hitter. But, yeah, Michael Christensen is playing his ass off right now. And the other game that Modena took part in was against Milano. And, again, this, this one hurt even more even more than the Lube Civitanova loss because A, I mean, Lube is like a completely dominant team. Even getting a point against them is kind of like a moral victory. But Milano, a team that's really tight at the end of the playoffs with Modena losing 20 to 18 in the fifth set. That's that's a tough loss to swallow and, you know, probably like one of the best games of the year so far. We also had a second set that went 30-28. Not like the most efficient game, especially from Milano, but a lot of like really good defensive plays, and again, I wish I wish so much that they recorded digs in the Italian Super League, and I know they have like the stats guys for it. <laughs> you see, you know, you watch games, and there's probably like a dozen stat people taking stats for the game, and a lot of those are only used internally for the teams. But I would love for the league start recording a couple more stats here. But anyway, the best moment of the match, craziness at the end. Yuki Ishikawa, who didn't even start the game, Stephen Marr, Tina Ernauts where the starters on the outside, but up to serve, tied 18-18, rips a serve down the 1-6 seam. Daniele Lavia takes it off the outside of his platform, goes sailing into the crowd, or, I mean, I guess the stands, there's no crowd, and then comes up again. 19-18, forces a zero pass and a free ball, and Milano gets the match 3-2 in a really fun fifth set there against Modena. Yeah, I mean, uh, the match was great, but Milano's going to have some weird lineup things going on now that everyone's healthy at the same time. Jan Petri was uh, playing most of the game, but also got subbed out a little bit for, I believe, Tina Arnout. Tina Arnout was in and out. Ishikawa started off and then and then played most of the last part of the game. Stephen Marr played the first part of the game and then barely played at the last half, so I don't know. They, they have maybe almost like too much talent right now. For me, I still think, I don't know, it's, it's really tough because all three of their outside hitters are, are like fairly close. I don't think between Mar, Ishikawa, and Ernout, there's one guy who's like significantly worse or better, but I do think Ernout's probably the weakest out of the three right now, just given how they're playing. Ernout, you know, I, I feel like for the last couple years, maybe not on the Slovenian national team, but outside of that, especially in club play, He's been a bit limited offensively. And, you know, like a lot of outside hitters, he's actually probably gotten better at reception uh, getting older. He's, pre- he's pretty, you know, reliable as a receiver now. But I would say Mar and Ishikawa serving and attacking are, are a lot better right now. Obviously, Ishikawa is a great re- receiver as well. But, yeah, with Patry coming back and healthy and looking all right at the opposite, I don't know. Somebody's going to have a, a rough time coming off the bench. And, you know, it kind of works okay. Like, we saw Mar struggle a bit, so he gets subbed out. And then, you know, someone else is struggling, they get subbed out. But I don't know if that's always the best strategy in volleyball. It can sometimes work against a player if you know you're on a short leash and you're going to get benched if you make a couple mistakes hitting. So you start to play sloppy or you play way too safe and, you know, you're trying to do wipes and, and roll shots and stuff. That doesn't always work instead of hammering the ball. So... They, they need to establish a hierarchy or some sort of system for sure there Milano but good win nonetheless a lot of a lot of talk about Milano's 
roster issues. Although I don't know if you can call too much talent that bad of an issue. But another game that Milano played against a little bit tougher of an opponent against uh, Perugia. Perugia winning 3-1 in this one. Wasn't that close. I mean, uh, Milano did win a set, but the sets they lost by they lost by a combined 20 points. So that's you know that's what I usually look at to, to see how close a match was. It's the uh, set score doesn't always tell the full story. Wilfredo Leon, leading scorer and MVP with two aces, 27 points, 22 for 45 hitting. So actually not you know not really the best game, at least statistically from uh, Wilfredo Leon standards. We saw some interesting um, attacks in this one. Leon was hitting the C slash D ball a few times. So, you know, wrapping around, coming behind the setter um, from position of six to position one and hitting the D ball. So that's kind of an interesting thing we've seen. Leon hit A balls before. We've obviously seen him hit lots of pipes before. And now he's hitting C ball. So pretty sure you can just put the ball up anywhere and Leon will score. I'm sure I, I would set Leon a great ball. Because realistically, you just need to put him a high ball somewhere near the net, and, and you're fine. Oleg Plotnitschke played well as well, and you know the offense of Perugia was just way too much for Milano. And this is Jan Patry's uh, first game back, and usually playing with Ernaud Amar most of the game. And there's some weird stuff with Spertoli too, because he was just recently back, so they were playing him a little bit. They're playing Nicolo Daudello a little bit, so a bit of an awkward game for Milano. But you know what? You want those awkward games to come against a team you have like an 80% chance of losing against even when you're at full capacity rather than like a, a mid-tier team where you, you probably would have beat them if you were firing on all cylinders. And the last Italian game I'm going to talk about briefly here is Vibo Valencia versus Monza. Monza winning 3-1, and Monza's like looking quite good right now. In this game, Addis Lagumja. I feel like that's how people have been saying it. I thought it was Lagumzija, but I've heard a lot of people saying La, uh, Lagumja. Not not sure exactly how to say his last name. If anyone knows, please message me. Anyway, 25 for 48 hitting. So 48 sets in a in a four-setter. That's pretty good. But you know, when you hit 52% attack percentage, you can afford to set one person that many times. Filippo Lanza also. Great game in this one. Three aces, three aces for Filippo Lanza, who I think on one of like my first podcasts or videos, like I, I'm pretty sure I declared him the worst server in the Italian league. So I don't know if he's improved that part of the game or just had a lucky game, but he was like serving some bombs today. Uh, a couple of real nice ones that looked like they were kind of going towards position, you know, the uh, five, six seam and then curve towards the opposite baseline and you know that's a that's a tough ball to pass when it's coming outside your body like that so Filippo Lanzas maybe maybe a, a strong server now I mean if he serves like that the Italian national team is doing backflips and happiness I mean that was, that was probably one of the weakest parts of his game so that that's an interesting thing to keep tabs on for Filippo Valencia I think this is the reason why probably a lot of people aren't uh, super confident in them because they they can throw up a few stinkers like this they're they're definitely not as consistent as a top four team in the Italian Super League usually is. And, you know, maybe they could have could have used Ishikawa in this one because Abuba hitting six for 24 in this one and actually getting benched for large parts of the game for kind of a uh, a younger guy, Peter Derlich, who is a Serbian opposite, born in 1997. Had a decent performance in this one. I didn't think he was that impressive. Didn't really show a lot of intelligent hitting. He's definitely a, a pretty physical guy. 
think about six nine six ten can can jump pretty well as well so he definitely has the physicality going for him but he, he made a few uh silly plays and you could tell there there were a few uh high skill situations where he he, he could not make a play on the ball other than that tj defalco also had a good game 12 for 21 he's been playing very well recently but not quite enough for Viva Valencia to get the W here. And yeah, Monza, I believe. Volleyball source, uh, Everett, if you know him, put out a nice video today, by the way. Check out his new YouTube channel, Volleyball Source 2.0. I'm sure there'll be great content coming there very soon. And there's so, those uh, behind the baseline angle videos. If you've been missing those, he's re-uploading all of those to that channel. But he put Monza 15th in his power rankings, which... You know, fair enough. Actually, it's probably about where they are in terms of like club teams, where they stack up in volleyball. Solidly mid-tier Italian team, but definitely liking their season so far. And I think they're, they've been looking better than Piacenza recently, and they probably have half the budget of Piacenza as well. And next, let's talk about some of the silly rules, at least in my opinion, that for some reason, still exists in in our sport, which I love. I love volleyball. I think actually a lot of people say volleyball's you know hard to understand. For me, it's it's one of the easiest ones, especially compared to something like baseball or cricket or or American football, like which are have an impossible number of rules. And I've been I've been watching American football for you know pretty casually, but watching it for you know five or six years, and you know there's still random rules that that I don't know. And, and like baseball, don't even get me started. It's it's impossible to even start to get into baseball unless you've already played. But anyways, I think volleyball is, yeah, fairly simple sport, but there are there are a few things that, that annoy me. And the first one was inspired by coach Igor Kolokovic, who, and, and other people have brought up this point as well, for sure, about the second touch, about how it's a bit of a silly rule. And I completely agree. I think there should pretty much be no errors called on the second touch. There has never, ever, 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 ever been a point in my long volleyball watching career where I'm excited or pleased or any positive emotion at all, or even vindicated. Even what, like if it's, if a team's playing Canada and they get called on a, on a double touch, I, I don't. I, I think it's always stupid. I think it. I mean, it just doesn't make sense as a rule because setting a ball with spin on it setting a non-clean ball like never results in a better result than just setting it properly would be usually if a ball comes out with spin or messy it's going to be hit harder to hit anyway and that's enough punishment like i don't know it just doesn't make sense sense to me why this is a rule like when you're shooting a basketball does it need to have no spin on it no does it when you're kicking a soccer ball do you need to kick it without spin no like i don't understand why in volleyball there's this uh this really kind of arcane uh, sanctity of the second touch. And, you know, I, I just care about the sport mostly from an entertainment perspective. I, I'm not a coach or, or a serious professional player. So that's where I, you know, really look to Im- or think of improvements to the sport. And I think, yeah, it would just remove like probably five or six annoying pointless points. And, and the worst thing is, is when you're having a great rally back and forth intensity and then like, the libero makes this amazing dig to like deep six or outside the court, and then you know the opposite comes up and and high, sets a high ball to the outside, and it's you know it's kind of messy. It's got a few spins, and then you have this amazing intense 
uh, fun rally that that's ended by by a double touch call, which is so subjective all the time anyway. So yeah, definitely I would get rid of that one. Would make the game a lot easier on the eyes and more entertaining, and just make just make everything better. The the refs' job easier. They wouldn't even really need to be watching the setters. Uh, the second rule, which you know some of you might not even know about, and it's it's probably the least uh, important rule here, but liberos being team captains. I, I don't understand why why liberos can't be team captains. It's a weird rule. You're allowed to sub out your captain, so the fact that the argument that liberos get subbed out all the time doesn't really hold any water to me because you can just the captain is subbed out anyway, and middles can be captains, and they're out half the game as well. So yeah, that that is definitely a silly rule. There's some libero, especially liberos. Like a lot of them are kind of like floor leaders, so a lot of the time it would make sense for uh, guys who shout, who talk a lot, like Gurbenikov or Eric Shoji. It would make a lot of sense for them to be uh, to be team captains. Also, I kind of like the uh, the American rule that liberos can serve. I mean, it, at first it kind of like grosses you out because I mean it's just something that never ever happens outside of uh, the USA, but. You know, there's what I thought about. There's no real reason why why liberos shouldn't be able to serve, and you know, I think it would be a little more entertaining to get uh, liberos more touches on the ball, but also feel bad for the middles not being able to serve. And also, it's hilarious um, when middles have to play defense, and amazing when they make a defensive play. So I don't know if that would necessarily make the improve the game or make it more entertaining, but maybe something to consider. And then my last rule, which is actually not really a rule in the actual game it's more of a rule of the volleyball leagues of the world but foreigner limits in volleyball leagues are ridiculous and make no sense and I, I very much disagree with any league having foreigner limits because the main argument for a foreigner limit is that you need to develop the national team players whenever a major volleyball power like um, Russia or Poland or Italy, whenever their national team's doing poorly, the, the first thing people blame is, oh, the domestic league has too many foreigners in it. You know, they're, they're taking up playing time from our young players and our, and our national team players and they're not developing properly. And that argument, like, does not make any sense, like, whatsoever if you look at it for, like, 0.1 seconds because any national team player who's getting, you know, real playing time on a top-level national team like Poland or Russia, or um, Brazil, or any of those places, you're going to be playing and starting in the domestic league. Like Even the worst player on the Italian national team is an easy starter in Italy, especially if you keep the foreigner limit to you know still have four or five foreigners. Like For sure, those players are still going to get playing time and develop, and even the young players are, are still going to fill up the practice squads of top national teams and, and are still going to play for the most part if they're good enough to play on the national team play on the court for good teams in the uh, top division leagues and even then as a volleyball player probably only about 10 percent to 20 percent of your time touching volleyballs is, is in a game so the vast majority of your time is during practice and allowing more foreigners gets you a much higher level of practice also Two of the best men's teams, at least, in the world, Canada and USA, both don't even have um, any domestic leagues. So, I mean, like, how is the USA consistently one of the best teams in the world, especially on the women's side? How are they How are they consistently one of the best teams in the world with no domestic league at all? And the answer is because 
first of all, most good players are made during their formative years in their teens and in, uh, in very early 20s. And then for, for the most part, that's like 90% of where you develop your skills in, in any sport, really. And then the last 10% is playing as an adult and really like honing down your skills. But any good U.S. or Canadian player who's going to be competitive on a world stage is already good enough to play, you know, in a top league. That's it just doesn't make any sense. These foreign limits, especially in like Russia and Poland, or I mean Russia and Brazil, with with only two uh, foreigner players allowed on the quarter, uh, the leagues like Japan and Korea, where it's only one foreigner. And there's definitely some severe downsides to the foreigner limits as one as well. One that I mean, it only really affects North America, but definitely I feel like there's a lot of North American players who would do not get enough of a chance to play in top leagues like if there if there were less strict foreigner rules i'm sure you would see a lot more canadian american players notwithstanding the difficulty with visas in poland and in russia and like the level of play on some of the bottom polish and russian and brazilian teams is like quite bad to be honest especially compared to the top and especially compared to Italy, where they have a more relaxed foreigner limit, like even the worst teams in Italy are pretty good. Even the worst teams like Padova have like three or four good foreigner players. Whereas you see the worst teams in Poland or in Russia are just have literally no chance of ever even having a competitive game with the top teams because all the good Polish players are already on the good rosters and they don't have the option of adding like three or four fairly cheap, decent average foreign players to kind of bolster their roster at least make them a little more competitive and interesting to people outside the home country. So I know not every club in the world has the resources to accept a lot of foreign players, especially if they're English and they don't have an EU passport. But I think it would really benefit the level of the sport because there's way too many good Americans and Canadians who who don't really get a, a real shot at playing for top teams, even if they're like pretty good. Like you can't tell me that, you know, anyone on the NCAA division one, or U Sports um, All-Star team can't play on the bottom three teams in Poland. Like, for sure they can. So I feel like guys don't get those opportunities. And just the level of play suffers for really, like, no good reason. Anyway, those those are probably the three dumbest rules in volleyball right now, I think, changing all of them. You know, it would provide a modest improvement to the sport. There's other things, new rules, that I would definitely implement, but I will save that for another podcast because i think that's an even more maybe interesting topic anyway i hope you guys enjoyed this one january podcast lots of fun volleyball this week i didn't even talk about euro volley qualifiers but bulgaria mass uh, north macedonia and turkey all qualified so yeah through three pretty good teams especially bulgaria turkey bulgaria man they've got some young guys that are looking dangerous and, and turkey's got some young guys too both I feel like both of those teams are going to trend upwards in the next few years. But anyway, I will talk to you guys next week. Bon soirée.